Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a best-selling author and longtime journalist. This podcast is all about helping you live your healthiest, happiest life, whether we're learning easy ways to be more productive, diving into the secrets behind a healthy, happy gut, or uncovering the best networking tips. And yes, those are all real episodes, so if any of those topics sound good to you, scroll on back in the archives. Today, we are talking all about fitness with celebrity personal trainer Ben Bruno. Ben is an LA-based trainer who works with some of the biggest names in the business. We're talking people like Chelsea Handler, Justin Timberlake, Kate Upton, and Jessica Biel, tons of professional athletes and other celebs that I am not even allowed to name. He actually got his start in training after he had a major back injury, which we get into during the episode. And then he used his personal healing experience to start training professional hockey and basketball players. Ben now has 10 plus years of experience as a personal trainer and has even developed virtual training plans for both men and women based on his vast knowledge of fitness. He's also just a really funny, cool, and kind guy. I love Ben's approach to working out, which revolves around the idea that we're all way overcomplicating things and social media isn't helping. In this episode, we get into the truth about celebrities' workout regimens, the best tip for actually sticking with an exercise routine, how to know what kind of workouts you should be doing based on your goals, the three key things you need to be focusing on in the gym, the minimum amount of time that you need to work out to be your healthiest self, what everyone gets wrong about stretching, the most important type of exercise to prioritize as you age, how to know if your workout is actually making a difference, plus when to change it up, the best kind of workout for fat loss, why you might actually be doing too much cardio, a personal trainer's thoughts on 12-3-30, getting 10,000 steps, pre-workout, fasted workouts, and more, if there is actually a best time of day to work out, the type of workout that could harm your body long-term, and so much more. We would both love to hear your thoughts and your biggest takeaways as you're listening to the episode, so definitely screenshot and tag me. I am at Liz Moody, and Ben is at Ben Bruno Training on Instagram. Also, be sure to stick around until the end of the episode because Ben is offering a giveaway that I know you're going to be obsessed with. It is one of the best giveaways that we have ever done. Truly, I am a little bit jealous that I cannot win this one. It is that good, so definitely stay till the end so you can enter. And if you love this episode, please share it. Last week's episode about how to know if you should have kids and debunking parenting myths has gone mega viral, and it's all because of every single one of you sharing links with people that you think would benefit. Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to join me on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. This is fun. I'm so excited to have you here. Let's start off talking about your story a little bit. You were telling me how you got into training in the first place. Can you tell us that story? So... Training is actually a relatively new field. I don't think people always think of that, but I am 37. When I was in high school, it was very rare. Football, kids lifted, but no other sports Were people did. doing like- There were bodybuilders. People okay. worked out and stuff. But like, I come from a sports training background where now high school kids start training in ninth grade and it's a thing. That never used to be a thing even 20 years ago. I grew up ski racing. We did dry land training. For ski racing, dry land training is just working out, but it's all like lower body stuff, plyometrics, but not really weights. And then football kids lifted, but I didn't play football. I thought I was going to go into finance. That's what I started off. I didn't have to major my freshman year or anything, but I just figured I'd go into finance. And then I had back problems all through high school, but they culminated in college. I threw my back out a couple of times, the classic can't stand up straight type of thing. And then halfway through my sophomore year of college, I did a back surgery. I had a disc L5S1 for people that know that. That was very herniated. The surgery was downloaded to me as a simple in and out procedure and you're fine in a couple of weeks. It's called a laminectomy or a microdiscectomy. People call it different things. I didn't know anything about the body. I went to the first doctor in my insurance network, got the surgery. The guy told me right before I went under, he knew I was a golfer too. He's like, as soon as this is done, we'll go play golf. I'm like, cool. Got up, couldn't walk. Long story short, the surgery did nerve damage. A lot of back problems manifest in sciatic nerve pain, which runs all down your leg and into your foot. Most of my symptoms post-surgery weren't actually in my back. It was down my leg. I had to take two years off from college and heal. I lost 45 pounds and I wasn't that big to begin with. I just got weak and my right leg just like packed up and went home, like super frail. 
to this day, it's been almost 20 years since my back surgery, and my right leg is still like significantly smaller than my right leg after 20 years. Did you read something that was like, if you do strength training, it'll help well, with nerve yeah, pain? Well, yeah. So basically, I had the surgery, lost a bunch of weight. I was just doing like traditional physical therapy. When you have a back surgery, the manuals for rehab are like for old people because not many 19-year-olds have back surgery. So I was always athletic. I could do everything they were telling me to do, but I wasn't feeling any better. So I got connected with this doctor named Dr. Rainville in Boston, and he worked with the Boston Celtics. So I just assumed he knew what he was doing. He had a thing called back boot camp, and that was basically akin to like low-grade weightlifting. So like very aggressive compared to the normal physical therapy protocols. He taught me how to deadlift, how to do weight training, and his whole thing was you have to work through it. You have to just get strong. I started doing this, and I felt better. I got into training from there, learned about nutrition to gain weight back because I lost a lot of weight. And I had always had a sports background. When I went back to school, I was interning in finance, but I hated it before I ever even had a job in it. I just hated the internship. In sort of a circuitous way into getting to training, the guy that I was interning for had kids that played football and connected me with their trainer. And I got a training thing from a finance internship. Very random. I ended up going back home and then connecting to a gym that was very close to my mom's house. The gym is like the number one gym in the country by men's health, uh, working for a guy named Mike Boyle, who's well-regarded as like the godfather of training, just right place, right time. I was there four years. Working at a place like that is like learning a language abroad. Like you just learn it like that because you're just like immersed in it. Everyone you're around knows training. You're just training people all day long. So it's kind of like a fast track into training. And I did that for maybe five years. I used to write for all these weightlifting publications, and I kept a blog too. It was called Ben's Blog, but it actually got traction. I had a lot of people read it, and I got offered a job in LA training at a gym that trained a bunch of actors, and I moved out here for the job. I wasn't there very long, like four months, but then I just uh, stayed in LA and went on my own. You have quite a roster of celebrity clients. How did that come about? Prior to coming to LA... I built my reputation training hockey and football players in Massachusetts and writing and stuff, but I was mostly hockey players. Though. And in Massachusetts, hockey players are like the celebrities. And I had a good reputation. When I moved out here, I started with three clients, but I had a network of professional strength coaches that I knew just from my time in training with sports and stuff. Not a lot of hockey players where I live in LA, but half the NBA lives in LA. So in 2014, I got connected to one basketball player. It was my first time ever training a basketball player. His name was Taj Gibson. He's still in the league, but at the time he was playing for the Bulls. And Taj was rehabbing after an ankle surgery. We shared a couple of videos on Facebook of his training. And then next thing you know, the strength coach from the Warriors sends me a guy. And then that guy sends me three guys from the team. And then my buddy who used to play basketball knew another player. And so in one summer, I went from never training a basketball guy to I had seven NBA guys. It just word of mouth like that. It's kind of like people get the results that they want and then they sing your praises. Yeah. If you're an in-person personal trainer, it's always going to be word of mouth referrals. A lot of trainers, I think, mistakenly think that social media is going to lead them to that. But particularly high-end training, it almost never comes through social media. It's always word of mouth. The actor thing, that was never a goal of mine. It's actually funny to me that I train a lot of celebrities. I'm somebody that my TV stays on ESPN. So I know every athlete from every random sport, but I don't know a lot of actors unless like it's the few shows I watch. But I have a trainer friend named Peter Park, who he and I have sent each other clients back and forth. And he trained a guy who was Chelsea Handler's manager. And he's the one that connected me with Chelsea. Chelsea was my first celebrity client when I went out on my own. And then I have different stories for each person. A big part of it is right place, right time. A lot of trainers hustle too much to find clients and do this and that without getting good at training. But the thing is, once you get the chance, you have to do a really good job. Like I just kind of have my crew and then every once in a while, I'll get a new one here, a new one there. But if you keep your clients, you don't have to worry about getting new ones all the time. We're going to get into some of the stuff you do to retain them with yeah. all of your incredible knowledge. I am curious. I got a bunch of questions from people who were like, 
are the results that these celebrities are getting attainable for a non-celebrity? Or do you need a trainer? Do you need a private chef? Do you need plastic surgery to look like this? I mean, there is a lot of that. Not the people I train, but there's a lot of the plastic surgery type stuff. I've always said training is really one of life's equalizers in the sense that it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter if you're famous. If you're famous, a lot of life's rules don't apply. You can usually cut the line. You can go to a restaurant that's booked. You can get tickets to something that's sold out. You can circumvent a lot of rules. I think everyone has an equal shot to be in shape. Probably being in the public eye provides a consistent motivation. A lot of people struggle with being motivated to work, myself too, but Chelsea trains like six or seven days a week. I mean, there's a privilege of time there too, you know what I mean? There isn't, there isn't, but it's a pet peeve of mine when people say they don't have an hour to work out, but then if you look at their weekly screen time, it's probably like seven hours a day of like Instagram. Whereas I bet Chelsea's screen time is very, very low, but she makes working out a priority, you know, that type of thing. It depends what you're going to prioritize, but I don't think people know necessarily the work that goes in behind the scenes. You know, I train a mix of actors and pro athletes and for both, I don't think people really realize how hard they work at it. If somebody was struggling with motivation, is there something you could say to them that would help? First, I'd say I get it. I would imagine a big part of why a lot of my clients continue to train with me is just like the accountability. We do pretty simple stuff. So the people that have trained with me a long time, we've been doing it a long time. They could probably do it on their own, but I just don't know if they would. I never work out by myself. What keeps me motivated is inviting people to join. I'll make appointments with friends and stuff. So that way I don't want to bail. That's really smart. It's easier to disappoint yourself than it is to disappoint other people. Oh, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) So I am not very well-versed in working out and all of this type of stuff. So I want to get really granular. I want to get really yeah, detailed. Sure. Let's, do it. Let's start off with, are different types of workouts good for different things? Like, how do we know if we should be weight training or doing yoga or doing Pilates or walking or running? Or are we supposed to like mix it all up? Or are we just supposed to do what we like? There's a lot of different ways to be physically fit. But I do think it's a mix of doing what you like versus what you need. How do we know what we need? There are three facets to me of health in that regard. There's strength, there's cardio, and there's mobility. As you age, it's important to keep your strength. It's important to keep your mobility. And it's important to be cardiovascularly fit so your heart's healthy. So you need to be doing those three things in some form. How you split that up is largely based on what you like. The best plan is one you'll stick to. So you have to like it to a degree or at least not hate it too much. If it's total drudgery, then I think you just try different things. You mix it up. I always say strength training could be the entree and cardio could be the side dish. An entree is probably two thirds of the plate. Cardio is probably one third of the plate, something like that. And then is mobility on the plate? Is mobility like dessert? Now, people that love yoga would do a lot more mobility, for example, people that love it. For me, every workout that I do, there's mobility in the beginning. Every strength workout, there's a dynamic warm-up that we do that there's about like five to 10 minutes of mobility work. And then also full range of motion strength training. When you say a dynamic workout or mobility, is that like stretching? I've always wondered if you're supposed to stretch before or after. Well, actually stretching is a very controversial topic and it shouldn't be. Social media fitness is tricky. I think it's because we live in a weird time where the information that gets disseminated the most comes from people that aren't actually practitioners in the field. So sometimes they have to just make shit up and do things for clicks. I also think that you get more clicks if you say something different than what everybody else is saying, which prompts people to say these like very crazy things because they know that that will go viral. Totally. So stretching has fallen out of vogue. It, It used to be you'd stretch to be more flexible. And there was some research that showed that prolonged static stretching before lifting weights decreased force production. So people took that and ran with it and just said, you shouldn't stretch before you work out. 
if you really look into the research that said that they were stretching for much longer than most people do in an average workout and then going right into the strength move. That's also not what people do. We do very brief duration static stretching, then a dynamic warm up, then lift weights so that you don't have to worry about decreased force production. And the research shows that if there's time enough between the stretching and the strength or power activity, you're, you're fine. I train a lot of pro athletes and they all stretch. And they and, stretch you know, before, not after the workout? Ideally, you do before. There's two reasons. There's the practical reason that I think most people do the really hard stuff at the end, like hard cardio finishers and things. You're just smoked. So most people won't then want to stretch. We end with something hard and go home. I've noticed that people's motivation to stretch really wanes after a workout. We also stretch in the beginning because people that don't like stretching say that it doesn't increase your flexibility and mobility long-term, but it does transiently for a short amount of time, which aids your strength work. Because a lot of stuff you're doing in the gym, if you are a little bit more nimble at the time, you can get into better positions. You're not going to hurt yourself, things like that. So the formula that we do is we stretch, then we do a dynamic warm-up. What is a dynamic warm-up? A dynamic warm-up is different drills that drive mobility and also just increase your body temperature. A lot of them are borrowed from yoga moves, but we do it in like a circuit fashion. So you're getting your heart rate up and moving your body in all planes. If you think of most strength exercises, that's called the sagittal plane. That's like forward and back. Like uh, if you think squats, deadlifts, you're very centered. That's the sagittal plane. Side to side is the frontal plane and that's moving laterally. And then the transverse plane is moving rotationally and diagonally. So the dynamic warm-up covers all those three planes. So if I wanted to go home and try out a dynamic warm-up, how could I so do that? The quickest way I would say Google stationary Spider-Mans, toe-touch squats, those two would be a great place to start. And if I don't stretch and I don't do dynamic warm-up and I just go into my strength training, what's going to happen? What's the negative? Well, here's the thing. In the short term, probably nothing. You'll probably be fine. But I think long-term, it's just better to take care of your body. It also depends, like if you say you're a newbie, if you're doing strength work with very light weights, you don't have to warm up nearly as much. If you're doing really heavy weights, you have to warm up a lot more. It just depends. People warming up to sprint have to warm up a lot more than people warming up to go for a jog. So if we're doing our main part of our plate with our strength, which also encompasses mobility, and then we have our cardio, would you say like maybe not for like a serious athlete, but a normal person, two or three times a week strength yeah, and like totally. one time a week cardio? Well, you could do it several ways. But okay. yeah, it would be two to three times a week for strength work is great. And then you can either do cardio at the end of your strength exercises or on separate days. A simple way could be three days a week of weights, two days a week of cardio. Depends what you have time for in your schedule. It could be three workouts a week where the first 45 minutes or the first 35 minutes is weights and the last 20 minutes is cardio. It could be a lot of different things. Is there a minimum amount of minutes we're looking for cardio? No, because there's a lot of different ways to do cardio, but you can do long duration steady state cardio, which is very good for you, but it's more time consuming. Or you can do high intensity interval training, which is also good for you, but less time. But ideally, you do a mix of low-intensity and high-intensity cardio because they both provide different benefits, but they're both beneficial. What are the benefits of both in a nutshell? High-intensity interval training can be a very good way to lean out, but it can also be stressful on the body. High-intensity interval training has an effect almost like doing weights on the body, so it taps into your recovery. Low-intensity training won't tap into your recovery, so you can do a lot more of it. There's a lot of physical adaptations too an even mix of intervals and steady state is probably a good thing. And is steady state, would like steady hiking be steady state? Yeah. Hiking would be steady state if you're actually hiking, not like talking to your friend, bullshitting hiking. Like you can talk to your friend, but not easily. You got to feel like you're doing something. When we're hiking, usually I'll be like, okay, at this part, I just want Zach to talk to me because I can't yeah, breathe. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just exactly. going to listen. <laughs> yeah. When I walk with my fiance on the uphills, we're always like, we only talk on the downhills. Yeah. <laughs> that type of thing. Yeah. I feel like I want to wear him out because he's stronger than me. So I'm yeah. always like, you talk and like, also you go run over to that viewpoint and then yeah. run back to me. And, and by the way, I don't, I don't want to say that slow hiking is nothing. It all depends where you're at. It has to feel like work to be a workout. 
Okay. So that was one question that I had, which is how do we know if we've done something that quote unquote counts as a workout? Well, I mean, walking can be a workout. If we're talking about strength, you have to push yourself a little bit more. Are we looking for a certain heart rate? Are you looking at HRV? Are you looking at being sore later? How do we know if we've hit these thresholds that will contribute to our health in the long run? That is where I think it's very important to be methodical with your training. The best thing you can do is to keep a logbook of your workouts and just chart your stuff and each time try to improve. So I actually hate using soreness as an indicator of a good workout because a lot of workouts, a lot of dumb workouts will make you sore, but they're not going to make you better. I'll give you the whole spiel that a new client gets. Anytime a new client comes in, we first start with a phone call prior where we ask three questions. It's your goals, injury history, and past training history. If they don't have a very big training background, we start a little slower. If they have a serious training background, we start a little farther down the line. Injury history is super important and goals are super important. Once they come in, we do a little movement screen just to see their mobility and to know if any of the exercises I was planning on doing could be harmful to them. And then from there, we train. I think that training 7 out of 10 hard consistently is much better in the long run than training 10 out of 10 hard or trying to be a tough guy and go 11 out of 10 hard and burn out. Some soreness is inevitable, but we're trying to mitigate that as much as possible. So if you're somebody that judges soreness as a good workout, you might not like me. My goal is to get you to where you want to be without being sore because when you're sore, you can't move as well. I don't think people always realize this. Certain exercises just have a higher propensity to make you sore. There are certain exercises that in the moment you feel it a lot in that targeted muscle and it's a burn, but then you don't get sore. And then there are exercises where in the moment you don't feel it that much, but then you get sore the next day. So for example, a Romanian deadlift, when you do it, you won't really feel your hamstrings that much, but the next day they'll be sore as fuck. Whereas something like a leg curl, your hamstrings will be burning while you're doing them, but they won't really make you that sore the next day. They're both good exercises. So that's all to say, I don't really care if you're sore or not. I care if you're improving on the exercises that we think are beneficial. It takes a lot for a health supplement company to wow me, but Symbiotica really breaks the mold. If you haven't discovered them yet, they make really different products than any other supplement company I've seen before. They have a lot, so I highly recommend that you check out their website and take their quiz to find out what's best for your specific goals, but I wanted to call out a few of my personal favorites. First of all, the topical magnesium. You all know I love magnesium, and I've always wanted a topical spray that wasn't sticky, that felt good and luxurious to use, and that actually let the magnesium absorb into my body, which requires DMSO as an ingredient, which I have actually never seen in any other product. If you have achy muscles or sore feet, this is literal heaven, and I also love it before bed to help with sleep. And then I have become increasingly interested in minerals. We talk a lot about vitamins, but adequate minerals are so key for energy. And unfortunately, it's become harder to get adequate minerals because our soil is so depleted of them. The Symbiotica Shilajit supplement is one of the best mineral supplements that I've found. And the research around Shilajit is profound. There's robust human and animal research that shows it acts on ATP in a way that significantly helps restore and create energy, which is one of the biggest things that I love it for as a low-caffeine consumer. There's also robust research around its anti-inflammatory properties, its brain-protective properties, and more. I think of it more as a whole food than a supplement. It's a naturally occurring resin, and I just mix a little bit of it into my afternoon tea or my decaf coffee drinks. And like all Symbiotica products, there are no additives, fillers, toxins, or artificial flavors. Of course, I have a special discount for you. You can use code LizMoody to get 15% off plus free shipping on subscription orders. Again, that's code LizMoody for 15% off on Symbiotica.com. If you have dry skin, this is going to be your holy grail. 
I've loved, loved, loved the Osea and Daria Algae Body Butter for years. It is so rich and creamy and lush, but it sinks right into your skin and it makes your entire body feel moisturized and not greasy at all. I actually do not understand how it's so not greasy and yet so, so hydrating. As fall approaches, I'm leaning into mini spa energy, these micro-relaxing moments you can insert throughout your day. Because peppering your day with tiny bits of calm can have huge impacts on overall cortisol levels, on your anxiety, even how you sleep at night, and the smell of the body butter. Holy cow, it is pure spa energy. You get that like laying on the massage table, melting energy. It is phenomenal. I've gone through at least four tubs of this personally, and that is saying something because it lasts a long ass time. A little bit goes a very long way. I also always keep extras on hand to give out as gifts. It uses ingredients that you would normally see in face care products like seaweed, ceramides, glycerin, which I am obsessed with for hydration and think is so underrated, amino acids, even a skin identical moisture complex. Also, here is a little tip. If you want to amp up its hydrating power even more, put it on damp skin right after the shower to really lock in all of that moisture and hydration. Like all Osea products, it's formulated with real seaweed to take advantage of its nutrient-rich benefits like deep moisturization. It's also vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Osea has actually been making seaweed-infused products that are safe for your skin and the planet for over 27 years. And I personally absolutely love how everything is ethically tested and sourced. For clean body care that gives you skincare-level results, you've got to try Osea. And right now we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with promo code LizMoody at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order, and orders over $60 get free shipping. While you're there, get the body butter, of course, but I'm also obsessed with the Vegas Nerve Oil and Pillow Mist, both of which help so much with my anxiety. I love rubbing the oil on my hands and inhaling deeply before I meditate to make it feel more intentional and calming and grounding. You are going to want it all. Go to OSEAMalibu.com, promo code Liz Moody. And if somebody said to you, my goal is just to be as healthy as possible in the smallest amount of time possible. I don't need my body to look a certain way. I just want to be as healthy as I possibly can. What would you have them do? Two days a week of weights, two days a week of cardio, two days a week of just like light movement and stretching and one day completely off. Okay. Like a simple thing. And then for cardio, is there something that we know we're doing like good cardio are we looking for a certain heart rate to know that we're well it depends on how fit you are like you got to start slow for sure and okay. build with cardio or with weights we never try to increase more than 10% of per week so you've probably seen this time and time again but a lot of people just like eventually they're just like fed up with how they're feeling and they're like I'm going in I'm going to get fit and then they just do too much too soon we start a lot slower and then build because I think the biggest detriment to getting in shape is like a prolonged layoff. And that usually comes from either getting burned out or getting hurt. That's why we try to stay in that 7 out of 10 range to avoid that type of stuff. My number one goal is weight loss. What would you have them do? I've heard a lot of people say that weight training well, is like the only thing that matters for weight loss. Do you agree I think with that? it's the biggest thing as it relates to exercise. But then we'd have to talk about diet. Because diet's probably like 80% of weight loss. But as far as training, the best tool for fat loss is strength training, for sure. Is there anything that you think people are doing that would maybe be contraindicated if they're trying to lose weight? Like you Well, a lot have of people, when they're trying to lose weight, overdo the cardio and underdo the weights, where it would probably be better to do more weights, less cardio, and get your diet in order and let the diet do the work too. And why less cardio? having muscle is the best fat burner. So if you just do a whole shitload of cardio with no weights, you're burning a lot of calories in the moment, but then you're eating up your muscle tissue, which is like your natural fat burner. And the thing about strength training is it's sort of a cheat code in that it's strength and cardio. The way I do training is we don't do traditional body part training. It's not like we do chest day, arm day, back day, et cetera. We do full body strength training. So that is 
we work in tri-sets, pairing an upper body exercise, a lower body exercise, and a core exercise. We'll do one set of the upper body exercise, then one set of the lower body exercise, then one set of core, rest a little, go back through. That's cardio. When we're talking about should you do this or that, we're kind of combining it. And you can tell that it's cardio because your heart rate is up while you're doing it. Yeah, yeah. Anybody that's done lunges or squats or whatever knows it's cardio. What about 12-3-30? Have you heard of that? I haven't. What is it? It's where you walk on a three-speed on a treadmill on a 12% incline for 30 minutes. Oh, I like that. It's a huge TikTok trend. And a lot of people are saying, like, this is the best way to get in shape. Just do 12-3-30 every single day. And it's like one of those viral weight loss trends. I haven't heard of it. I'm not mad at it. I wouldn't say that's the best way to lose weight. I mean, incline walking is great. I have no problem with that. As we talked about social media having a way to exaggerate things. I don't think that there's any magic to that. That's cardio. Incline walking is great. Anytime people do a treadmill, I always just put it on a two degree incline. It's a lot easier on your joints. And we do a lot of our sprinting on hills. It's a lot easier on your joints. So I actually like that workout. Do you have favorite forms of cardio in general? To me, that's kind of like an oxymoron because I don't like it. But yes, I have favorites that I think are the most beneficial. Have you ever heard of an airdyne bike? I call it the Satan cycle, but it's like you ride the bike, but there's arms too. So there's resistance. It sucks, but it's good. I like that. Do they Um, have that at a lot of gyms? Increasingly more so. We push sleds. We run hills. We use this thing called the Versa Climber. Have you ever heard of that? It's this vertical pole that you like, your arms go like this and then your legs are doing step-ups. And we use this thing called the ski erg. It basically mimics like cross-country skiing. Oh, that's fun. My mom had a Nordic track when I was growing up. Yeah, that's cool. Similar. So we'll do those kind of machines. And then, yeah, truthfully, full body strength training is cardio too. So then if we are doing full body strength training, do we even need our side dish of cardio? Do we need to do it as a separate session? No, but it could be beneficial. And a lot of people like it. Beneficial for what though? Like if we're just trying to be our healthiest self. This goes back to what you like. So if people hate weights, then just doing full body strength training is going to suck to them. But if you just love weights, then you could just do full body strength training and be cool. If you hate weights, I think you should still suck it up and do a little bit of weights. (laughs) It's important to be strong, but I don't think you have to just like make it your life. What about steps? How do you feel about the whole like 10,000, 20,000 steps? Is that something we should be incorporating? Uh, So there's like the trainer answer and then the me answer. The trainer answer, I don't think there's any magic to 10,000 steps. If you prefer to do the elliptical or ride the bike or swim or whatever, that's all fine. Personally, for me, I've been on a 10,000 step kick for over two years now. And I actually chart my steps on my phone and it's like a game I have with myself. And I started it because I had seen a lot of trainers just sort of haphazardly throw out the 10,000 step thing. And so I wanted to try it. Like, how hard is this actually? So I did it. And it actually takes a conscious effort to get to 10,000 steps. It's pretty attainable, but it takes consistent effort over time. So for me, it's become more so than the actual fitness part of it. It's become a discipline thing to do it consistently. If you take one day off, you make a lot of work for yourself after to get your average up to 10K. Do you need to change what you're doing regularly or is it okay to find a workout that you love and stick to it? I've done the same style workout for like 15 years straight. I feel like I've read a Cosmo article or something at one point that was like, your muscles get used to it and you have to surprise them. It's called progressive overload. That's why we chart our workouts. You should always strive to be improving. So when I say I do the same workout, I don't necessarily do the same workout. I'm trying to bump my numbers up. I'm trying to do more weight or more reps, that type of stuff. So if you have a home weight set, you're probably going to have to buy another one in a little bit? Eventually you will, yeah. Okay, and that's a good thing. Yeah, it would be a good thing. Yeah, that you could take as a badge of honor. Fasted workouts, are you pro or con? For high-intensity exercise, I don't think they're great. If you're just like going for a walk or something, it'd be fine. Is there any benefit to trying to do a workout fasted? The current research as I know it shows that there's really no difference if you do the workout fasted or not fasted. That's not to say that you can't do it fasted, but a lot of people I think incorrectly say that fasted is better. And I don't think that's true in my experience. And I think the research now is showing that if you equate everything else, fasted or non-fasted, doesn't matter. What about pre-workout? Pre-workout is one that I take a pretty hard line on. I don't like pre-workouts. A lot of pre-workouts have a shitload of caffeine. 
And then also things like beta alanine, and they're all different. I drink coffee and things like that, but I think pre-workouts can be a really slippery slope. Obviously, a lot of people do it and they're fine, but I've witnessed a lot of bros. They do like a little scoop and then they get adjusted. So then they do two little scoops and it's a shitload of caffeine. Is the idea that the caffeine makes your workout easier though? Easier and just gives you energy. A lot of times it's used to like mask poor recovery. You develop a tolerance pretty quick. Same as like coffee or anything like that. The best thing is to train properly so that you can have energy. Do you think there's anything we should be consuming post-workout? It's very important to eat protein after you work out, particularly strength training. And then carbs, calories, and things really depend on your goals. Are there types of protein that you really like? I'm not a nutrition expert. There's a saying that you can't out-train a bad diet. Mm -hmm. And that to me is like very disappointing because I like the training the healthy eating, not so much, but I do it because I want to have energy, maintain a good body composition, all those type of things. Personally, I like whey protein. I have one that's like a whey casein blend. Whey protein is faster digesting. Casein is a little slower digesting. I like to blend. A lot of people don't tolerate dairy. So there's a lot of non-dairy proteins that I truthfully don't know too much about. And you mentioned that you do full body strength training. I've always kind of heard about you have your arms day and your legs day. First of all, why does that exist? Why do arms day exist? And why does legs day exist? And why do you combine it into full body? Well, a lot of training comes from old traditional bodybuilding. And that's how bodybuilders train. There's chest day, back day, arm day, et cetera. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think that full body strength training is the most efficient and effective way to achieve a lean physique. I wouldn't know the first thing about getting huge. It's just not my thing. But I do think that if your goal physique is a lean athletic physique, that's the the way to go. Success leaves. Well, first off, success leaves clues. All bodybuilders usually follow those splits and whatever. Athletes usually do full body training. I was talking about full body training kind of being a cheat code because it's strength and cardio. When you do like arm day, there's very, very little metabolic demand on that. Your heart rate doesn't really get up. If you just do arms, you barely even feel like you worked out. If you just do chest, same thing. Leg day is hard. Everything else is not that metabolically hard. When you're doing full body strength training, there's a metabolic component to every single workout. If people aren't training with you and they're getting sore on Monday and then they come back in and do a full body on Tuesday or Wednesday, is that an issue, training when you're already sore? I think that the key to minimizing soreness is to not overdo the volume of your workout. So if you're doing too much, then yeah, you'll be crushed. The thing about full body is that the volume per muscle group is comparatively quite low to when you do body part splits. So for example... If somebody were to do just a back day, they might do four exercises for three or four sets each. When you're doing a full body workout, you just do one back exercise for three to four sets. So you're not really getting that sore. Same for arms. You're just doing one exercise for arms, one exercise for lower body. So the volume is much less per workout, meaning so you're not going to get a sore. But are you still going to get a strong Yeah. If you're doing a body part split and you're working and you do a muscle once a week, but you're doing three exercises for that muscle, we're doing three full body workouts a week. So you're still doing three exercises for your chest, but it's split up over three days. That sounds more fun anyway. Like it sounds less boring. I mean, a lot of bros probably don't like full body training, but I do think that most people do. Yeah. You know, to be honest, I've found it to be a much more palatable way to train I know very few women that would ever be down to do a full arm day. And I know very few dudes that want to do a full leg day. So I think that full body training is a good happy medium. And do you think you need the full hour to do an effective full body session or could you do a quickie? Yeah, 30, 40 minutes for sure. Really? And that's like cool. If I do a 30 minute strength training session at home, that's cool. Totally cool. I'm always looking for like what counts. 30 minutes is fine. But in that time you have to work. I used to have a client that would train right after his lunch break and he had a very short amount of time and we had the workout. And then if he was ever late, we would sometimes still try to do that same workout. It's way harder in a short amount of time. It's actually harder than easier. So you're kind of getting rid of that like rest that you take between. Yeah. You're getting rid of the rest a little bit. You're kind of just focusing more. I think most people, if they're honest, when they're in the gym, it's not 100% focus. 
there's a lot of bullshitting that goes on. If you're shorter on time, then you have to hold yourself accountable and focus more for sure. Do you think that women should do different workouts at different points in their cycle? I think everyone probably has to find what works for them. The women that train with me consistently, we sort of just train consistently. So I think it's everybody's different. What about menopausal women or postmenopausal women? Is there anything that you would work on differently with their bodies? You have to talk about their medical history. Everybody's different. But then that becomes just how's your energy? You have to honor your body more and back off when you need to. And I've like heard that. that strength training gets even more important as you get older. Well, a huge benefit to strength training is bone density, which is important as you get older. As you age, strength and power just decline over time. Power actually declines faster than strength. So doing that type of stuff is very important as you age. And then also when you talk about older people falling and things, balance is very important and strength is a component of balance. And do you think most people should be properly going to the gym and doing the machines, doing the weights, getting a trainer? Or do you think that you could grab some weights at home and get an effective strength training workout in? If you like going to the gym, then go to the gym. And I mean, my gym's in my garage. I made a whole workout program around low equipment stuff. If you don't want the gym, you don't need it. If you had a couple dumbbells and a bench, you're good. Is there a best time of day to work out? Whenever you'll be consistent. Is there a bad time of day to work out? I don't think so. I would say like not right before bed, but I know people that work out right before bed and they're fine. I think you adapt. You know, I used to work out so early in the morning and I was fine. I was used to it. And then I switched, my schedule changed and I had to switch in the afternoon and I was just junk every afternoon. But now I'm used to it. And if I have to train early in the morning, I'm junk. The body's pretty good at adapting. Do you think it's good to work out at a consistent time every day then? I don't think it matters. I think as long as you get just it in. Just do it? Yeah, yeah. A lot of people focus on the minutia, but I think the main thing is that you're consistently doing it. What is one thing that you think people should be focusing on when it comes to like constructing their workout routine that they're not focusing on? Improvement in the gym. I think a lot of people just are hamsters on a wheel and do the same thing over and over again. The best way to change your body is to improve on stuff in the gym. So regardless of what your workout is, the strength, the cardio, the everything, you should be methodical about it and charting your performance and trying to improve it. A lot of people just try to check off the box of the 30 minutes or check off the workout without paying attention to what they're actually doing in the workout and improving it. To that point, the initial conversation that you have with clients is maybe a conversation people could have with themselves. What are my goals out of this? A lot of people exercise with the intention to put in their 30 minutes, check off the box, get a sweat and burn calories because then they feel better about eating and stuff like that. Whereas if you work out with the intention to improve your performance, that other stuff takes care of itself. I work out for my mental health and so that I can live as long as possible. But those are harder. Mental health, you feel right away. You work out, you feel better. That's like pretty concrete. But I think that having the further off goal of just being like, I want to live as long as possible is a little trickier because then you're like, well, am I doing the right thing? Is something that I'm doing hurting me? Should I be doing something else instead? Because you're trying to stack up to this faraway future. I once had a guy tell me a prospective client that he wanted to live forever. And I was like, I don't know if there's any exercises for that. Do you think there's any exercises? We do them for the results in the moment, but they might actually be having a detrimental effect on our health in the long run. There's a saying that exercise is medicine, and that's usually meant to mean that exercise can be healing. But if you think of almost any medication, the devil's in the dose. So I think a lot of fitness people take a good thing and make it a bad thing by doing too much. You can overdo exercise, and then it becomes a detriment. What do you think about things like marathons? Are those detriments? No, I mean, I know a lot of people that do them and they're super healthy, but they train for it and they build up. It's all how you build up. The body's pretty incredible. When you think about high performers in any athletic thing, it seems pretty incredible what they're able to do, but they didn't start out doing that. You build and you build and you build. Okay, you know what stat blows my mind? People in the US take about 20,000 breaths per day and spend an average of 90%, 90% of their time indoors. And that indoor air can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. 
Indoor air pollutants can cause respiratory symptoms like sneezing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. I talked about this with a world-famous doctor friend years ago, and I was like, it is awful. What do I do? And she said, you need a high-quality air purifier, and you need to keep one in any room that you spend a ton of time in, which is why I am so excited to introduce you to Air Doctor. Air Doctor goes above and beyond the HEPA standard, which requires that 99.97% of particles at 0.3 microns be captured by a filter. Air Doctor uses an ultra-HEPA filter that was independently tested and proven to remove at least 99.99% of particles as small as 0.003 microns. That is 100 times smaller than the HEPA standard. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander. For any other pet parents who are allergic to their babies, this makes the biggest difference in my allergies with Bella. Highly recommend for that alone. This includes dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. Also, if you live somewhere that is coming up on potential fires this summer, please, please, please get an air doctor so you have it ready. Breathing in smoke is awful for your lungs. And as somebody who lives in California, it gives me such peace of mind that I have my air doctor ready to go. We have a few, but if you are starting with one, keep it in the bedroom. That way you're breathing great air for at least a third of your life and it'll help you get better sleep, which will have so many downstream positive effects. And as a little bonus extra, it has such a nice white noise sound. It actually helps me fall asleep and stay asleep. Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you do not love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code LizMoody, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. And this part is exclusive to Liz Moody podcast listeners. You will receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O.com and use promo code Liz Moody. I have a product that is going to change your life. I have recommended this to so many people and they are all floored. It's basically a perfect dupe for the viral Laneige lip mask, but a million times better and with ingredients that are clinically proven to help dry lips and actually good for you, which is important because you're essentially eating anything that goes on your lips. It is the Osmia Lip Repair Overnight Mask, and it feels like heaven. And you're going to want one for yourself and also to stock up and give them as gifts because they are the best present. They help my dry lips when nothing else works, and I will never be without mine now. And while you're on the Osmia site, you are going to want to stock up on the bar soaps. This is the original product that Dr. Sarah Villafranco, the founder, created, and they have converted me to bar soaps after years of not being able to take the plunge. They're cured longer, so they last way longer than any other bar soap I have ever found, which is amazing for travel. I have been traveling so much recently, and I've had literally the same bar of soap, and they smell amazing, and they do not dry out your skin. Go with the scent that speaks to your soul, but coffee mint is my personal favorite. Finally, if you remember Sarah's pod episode, she has a whole line of products that help with skin conditions like perioral dermatitis, which is when you get red and broken out around your mouth, eczema, and acne, even when nothing else works. She's famous for this. So start with the black clay facial soap and the purely simple face cream if you are like, oh yes, that is me. If you'd like to try any Osmia skincare products for yourself, they have so generously created a code for the Liz Moody podcast listeners. Code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. Once again, code Liz Moody is good for 20% off your first order with Osmia at osmiaskincare.com. If somebody was coming from pretty much sedentary, like they just haven't worked out ever, they want to start to incorporate physical fitness, is there a place you would have them begin if they're intimidated by all of this stuff? I would tell them just to do like a simple strength program and start by doing like a two to three days a week of simple strength stuff and accompanying that with walking as much as they can and maybe some low intensity cardio. And then as they get into it more, step up the weights and start doing some higher intensity interval training too. And by simple strength program, what are we talking about there? I'm talking three days a week or two days a week of 30 to 45 minutes of 
basic moves. So squats, lunges, deadlifts, push-ups, rows, stuff like that. You said you do arms, core, legs. Could you do like your two favorite moves for each one? Are we talking for men, women? Give us both. If you were a woman with no strength training background trying to construct a full body workout, I would say a deadlift would be great. That's called a hip hinge. I would say a reverse lunge would be great or a Bulgarian split squat. They're cousins. They're very similar. Either reverse lunge or Bulgarian split squat, a deadlift, a row for your back, and a one-arm shoulder press. Those four would be a very good full body workout. All right. And sit-ups. Sit-ups I don't love. That's a lot of people's go-to for core. Flexing the spine aggressively can be tricky on your back. We do a lot more like planks, side planks, core stability stuff, ab wheel rollouts, hanging leg raises, stuff like that. What about rest days? How important are they? And are you supposed to be like prone or does it mean just like doing lighter movement on those days? You don't have to just like stay in bed, (laughs) but you could. Walking's fine. Stretching's fine. It shouldn't be vigorous exercise. Okay. And how often do we need those? One or two times a week for sure. If somebody is super tired, you don't sleep well the night before, your alarm goes off, you're going to do your workout, is it better for your body to get the extra sleep or is it better for your body to get up and do the workout? Depends. If it's always like that, then sometimes you just have to suck it up and work out. But long-term progress in the gym is a balancing act of pushing your body and listening to your body. There's no real formula for that. But it's very important to listen to your body. But if all you ever do is listen to your body, you're probably not working very hard. You have to push your body. I find it so tricky because every time after I do a workout, I feel so good. And I'm like, thank God I did this. There has not been a single time before a workout where I've been like, yeah, well, I want to do In that this. case, I would say a good way you could do it is tell yourself you're just going to go in and do 10 minutes and then figure it out after 10 minutes. And more times than not, after 10 minutes, you're going to want to keep going. If you were sick, how long should we wait to get back to working out? How sick were you? Sneezy, maybe light fever, stuffy uh, nose. I would say wait until you feel better plus a day. If you're talking about just like a sniffle, then like when you feel better, you could work out. Okay. But if you were like fever and everything, I'd say once you start feeling better, take a day. The caveat to that is start back slowly. If you've been really sick, don't go right back to your original workout. I do think even that points to the difficulty of the listening to your body versus pushing your body. And I think if I had to pinpoint like an issue most people have when they're trying to figure out the place of movement in their life is how much to listen to their body versus how much to push their body. Yeah. And that depends because some people are just naturally type A that need to listen to their body more. And then some people are kind of lazy and need to not listen to their body and just do it. Are there any things that you think that people are doing that are likely to cause injury that maybe somebody who is not trying to be a serious I wouldn't say that there's like certain exercises that are just like that's going to hurt you, but I would say taking things to extremes is usually not a good idea. The middle ground is usually the place to live. Are there any moves you don't like that you see people do a lot? I don't like burpees. I always make social media jokes about burpees, but it's funny because I always piss off like the CrossFit bros that are super fit. I'm not talking about them, but when I see burpees done in like a boot camp with beginners, that is where I have a problem because burpees are an advanced exercise masquerading as a beginner exercise. A lot of beginners just do a shitload of them, but it actually requires quite a bit of fitness and mobility to do a good burpee. So fit people, they're fine. Not fit people, it's not a good way to get in shape. Because you're likely to hurt yourself? Yeah. Burpees are going into the push-up, then jumping up. I think you're better off doing squats separately, push-ups separately. I think a lot of the sort of viral stuff and the confusion around fitness comes from the fact that people really want those shortcuts. What I always struggle with as a trainer is what works long-term is just really kind of simple stuff, but that's not cool. I think real trainers probably facepalm most of the stuff they see on social media. Are there any shortcuts? Are there any things that you think have an outsized efficacy for the amount of effort that you need to put in? I think that full body strength training is the most efficient way to get to where you're trying to go. The thing about shortcuts, they never last long term. 
if you're looking for an answer in like a couple weeks, it's not going to happen. I think people overestimate what they can do in a short amount of time, but underestimate what you can do in a longer amount of time. If you did consistent strength work and ate well for three months, you'd be a different person and have a different body, but it won't happen in six weeks. So that can be off-putting to some people. Do you believe in spot training? Like, can you do like butt workouts to get popping booty? Not really. Working the area you're trying to improve helps, but you can't spot reduce fat. You kind of have to lose it proportionally everywhere. And everyone has their areas where they hold it and they're the last to go. And that's partly their genetics, partly their hormonal stuff. But you can't spot reduce fat. You can make your arm muscles bigger by working your arm muscles or make your butt muscles bigger. But in terms of reducing, fat loss doesn't work like that. Okay. I want to ask a few listener questions. One, is it possible that I'm working out too hard? I do Orange Theory six days a week and I feel like I don't get the results that I should. That's a lot because that's a really high intensity class. Yeah. What does Orange Theory count as on your like strength cardio spectrum? Is it both? Strength. Okay. Yeah, strength and cardio, but okay. it's hard. Orange Theory six days a week is a lot. They could probably mix in some lower intensity walking cardio days or yoga or things like that. If you're working out too hard is the only risk injury. She said, I'm not getting the results that I want from working out this hard. Can you be impeding your results by working out like too hard? Not really. I would say there's a lot of reading between the lines. She might be talking about like fat loss. Mm -hmm. And then I would tell her to really look at her diet. And I would also say the thing about those classes is they don't always promote progressive overload. So she might just be doing the same thing every time. So I would say for that, to evaluate the strength work you're doing, try to like bump the weights up and actually get stronger, not just go through the motions and like do the time and get your heart rate up. Progressive overload means just progressively increasing the weight over time. It's so interesting because you're like, you shouldn't get sore, but should I be doing the absolute top weight that I can kind of get to the end of my sets with? I tell people to push until you have two reps in the tank. So like if you could get 10, do eight. How do I know how heavy I should be doing? Every new client, when I'm picking the weights, they're like, how many reps? I'm like, I'm literally guessing because there's no way. You have to just know. And that's why I say to record it. You just do your best. If it feels easy, next set, go up. If it feels easy, go up again. And once it gets hard, you know that's how much you can do. Are you always aiming for like eight reps or whatever? It and then you just the go move, up in the but, weight But amount. yeah, I think a general rule would be like eight to 10 reps. So you're not really ever going up in the reps. You're just going up in the weight amount. Well, there's exceptions, but I don't want to like confuse. So I would say uh, the eight to 10 rep range is a pretty good place to live. Okay. Next question. I get eight to 10,000 steps a day. Do I need additional exercise for optimal health or is that enough? That's definitely enough. But I do think that some strength work will be very important. And the absolute minimum? Twice a week for 30 minutes. Okay. I love to run and do Pilates. Why does my lower back hurt all the time? And I would expand on that and I would just say, are there exercises that you see people doing that are causing pain or might be the source of pain that people wouldn't think of? I don't know what exercises she's doing, but if you're doing too much mobility work and not enough strength work, it would be prudent to focus on some core strength work and stuff for your glutes. Are there any things that you do because of your back injury to help with pain? I have my own personal no-nos, but I don't like to make those ubiquitous no-nos because everyone's different. Stretching and working on my hip mobility has been super valuable for helping making my back feel better and core stuff. I don't do squats with the bar on my back. I don't do deadlifts with the straight bar off the ground. Instead, I do front-loaded squats and I do deadlifts with that it's called the trap bar, the thing you stand in. I'll do that. But I don't think everyone has to avoid those exercises. I just know I do. That's why I talk about goals and injury history with every new client. If somebody had my back problems, I'd say don't squat, don't deadlift, and don't straight bar deadlift. Is running bad for your knees? The devil's in the dose. And some people can tolerate a shitload of running. But like over time, if you run a lot, are you going to be like a 70 or 80-year-old who regrets your choices? Well, I think if you're running a lot, you'll probably be in pain when you're 70 or 80, but I don't know if you'll regret it. Everyone's different. Runners tend to get injured a lot. I'm a big advocate of runners also doing two days a week of strength training 
trying to limit their running volume as much as they can. Running is a lot of impact on the body. Can you leave us with just one homework assignment, something that anybody who is listening, they just wanted to cut the crap, get stronger, simplify the whole thing, something we could start today? Think of those three aspects of fitness that I said, strength, cardio, and mobility, and be very honest with yourself are you sufficient in all those three? If you're not sufficient in strength, you know, you would dedicate two days a week to doing weights or strength training. If your cardiovascular health sucks, you'd need to incorporate some cardio. And if you're super tight, you need to work on that. It doesn't get better on its own. It just gets worse. You sort of just have to get started on it if you want it to improve. Does any body weight stuff count as strength training? Yeah, yeah, totally. Push-ups, okay. lunges, squats. So you don't need weights to have it be strength training? You're going to get really limited with how much you can do if you don't have any weights. So I think some weights would be good. For example, with no weights, it's very hard to work your back muscles. Most back exercises would be like rows or things like that. And if you don't have any weights, it's really hard. I think some dumbbells would be a good idea. I love it. Can you tell us a little bit about where to find you online and also your new program that you just launched? It's a six-week strength training program. It's just simple strength training three days a week. It's for a lot of what we talked about. It's for people that might know some of the different exercises but feel totally lost when they go in the gym. It just provides a simple plan. It's sort of the antithesis to these really hardcore programs. It's a six-week program that's built into two three-week phases. There's three workouts a week and you repeat them for three weeks. That progressive overload that we talked about, trying to improve. And also there's a learning component to every exercise. I'm not catering here to the person that wants a new workout every time and loves beating the shit out of themselves in the gym. I'm looking for people that just want like a simple program that makes them feel better. And there's a lot of mobility work included too. If you were to do the entire thing, it would be about an hour, three times a week. There's a men's version and a women's version. And the reason for the differences are twofold. One, just again, I always say practicality trumps perfection. And I polled my followers and asked what equipment they had at their disposal. And the vast majority of the men had a lot more equipment than the women that follow me. So I just tried to make it useful to the most amount of people. I looked at the clients I trained in their goals and tried to do the best you can. It's a simple program. It's on my website and my Instagram. Is doing an hour three times a week as good as doing like 30 minutes every... Is there like a difference or benefit to one or the other? No, you could split it up. Like, would you say in general, it's about the cumulative amount of time spent per week, not like how you break it up throughout the week? Yeah, yeah. Within reason. I always feel the need to say that. I don't think it would be good to work out three hours twice a week. So one hour three times a week is like probably the longest chunk you would recommend if we're chunking. Anything over an hour, it's tough to put much into it. In general, most people, if they're working out over an hour, probably are not focused or their intensity is going way down. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ben. This was like hey, absolutely you. fascinating. I feel like I learned so much that yeah, this I was really fun. Yeah. didn't know. I absolutely love Ben's approach to fitness. Despite all of the professional athletes and actors and musicians that he's trained, he doesn't feel the need to overcomplicate anything, which is so needed because fitness can feel so confusing. Okay, let's talk a giveaway. Ben has generously agreed to give six winners free access to his new Bruno Strong six-week training program. This is huge. This is a program designed by Ben using all of the knowledge that he's gained about training over the years, and it normally costs $300, but we're going to select three men and three women to give it to absolutely free. All you need to do is follow me at Liz Moody and Ben at Ben Bruno Training on Instagram and then comment something that you loved or learned from the episode on any of my recent posts. The post does not need to be about this episode. Just talk about the episode in the comment or mention Ben so that I know that you're entering. You are also welcome to give the program as a gift if you think someone in your life would benefit. Also, you're just going to love following Ben. His Instagram is truly one of my favorites. He's legitimately hilarious, and he's also filled with super helpful tips, as you probably got a little preview of in this episode. 
If you are new here, make sure that you're following the podcast on whatever platform you like to listen on. Just go to the main podcast page, the one that lists all of the Healthier Together episodes, and you'll see the word follow under the logo on Spotify. And then there's a little follow with a plus sign button on the top right of that same page, the one that lists all of the Healthier Together episodes on Apple Podcasts. That way, all of the new episodes will show up right in your feed so you will never miss out on one. And you are definitely going to want to be in the loop because we have some amazing episodes coming up, including one all about hacking our circadian rhythms and another one about how to be more productive, but also way happier. So make sure that you're following so you do not miss out. Okay, I love you and I will see you next week on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. My favorite health hacks are the ones that have the biggest payoffs for the smallest amounts of effort, and this is such a good one. When you are drinking your tea or coffee in the morning, just add one packet or scoop of Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Peptides. I definitely was a bit of a collagen skeptic until I had dermatologist Dr. Whitney Bowe on the podcast. You can scroll back to her Ask the Doctor episode. She said it is not a myth. There is research to support how great collagen is for your skin. And then, of course, I did my own deep dive, and I was so impressed with the known benefits for things like your skin, your hair, and your joint health. Studies show that collagen can help improve your skin's hydration, which is something that I am especially looking for during this time of year when everything just feels a little bit drier. Zach likes the marine collagen, and then I like the grass-fed beef collagen, but both are incredibly well-sourced and certified by third parties, which is the number one thing that I look for. And since I've started incorporating collagen into my everyday routine, I have noticed strong and healthy nails and my hair feels thicker and fuller, which we love. And Zach's knees are feeling so good despite all of the time that he is spending running. One of my favorite things about the Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Peptides is that I cannot taste them at all and they dissolve so well in hot and cold beverages. Not all collagen can dissolve in cold beverages and some days you just want an iced tea. To try out Great Lakes Wellness Collagen Packets or their bigger tubs, use code LizMoody for 25% off. Yes, 25% off. That is a huge discount off of your first purchase at greatlakeswellness.com. That is LizMoody for 25% off at greatlakeswellness.com.